one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport on Day 7 and Second Monday, Manic Monday, Magic Monday. Uh, What are the other M words we used to describe this Monday, David, of Wimbledon 2017? And we are standing just outside the press area in our usual spot in the aftermath of, without question, the biggest shot of the shock of the tournament, the exit of two-time champion Rafael Nadal at the hands of Gilles Muller, who's been just called into the press conference room. Muller Monday. Muller Monday. I tell you. That's, You've been mullered. Well, <laughs> not quite, but certainly edged out by Gilles Muller, who was amazing he tonight. He was hard as nails. Was hard as, as nails. nails. I, I didn't see him hitting on Force Error in that fifth set. How many match points were there either way? I can't remember. There were so many. He took it on the fifth. And, and, I mean, Nadal had a number two. I mean, there was... Nadal didn't have any match points. He had break points, which oh, would yes, have left him serving You're for right. the match. That's, yeah. And that we won't go into our serving first in the fifth set debate. But as you know, I consider it an enormous advantage. Well, I think you were right. And there was a, there were a number of people, two or three people mentioned on social media about how the pressure was ramping up and, and whether it was going to take a toll eventually. And, and Nadal, I think it did. Nadal sex successfully served to stay in it eight times. It was, a, it was at the ninth time of asking uh, that he broke. And it was at the tenth time of asking that Andy Roddick broke in... 2009 wasn't it and uh, it's just an enormous ask to deal with that pressure time after time most would have crumbled long before and it's only because it was Rafael Nadal Nadal only hit two backhand errors in that fifth set two backhand errors I haven't got the stats on the forehand I thought it was more the forehand perhaps if anything that let him down but basically I haven't got much Nadal analysis for you I think that was that was about Gilles Muller. That was Muller's win, and he served and volleyed to victory. I mean, one of the other matches we'll talk about later uh, involves Garbinia Magarutha, who, who made more than 50 approaches to the net in her brilliant win over Angelique Kerber. And, and that is one of the takeaways I have really so far from this tournament is 
you you can prosper at the net and that was proved brilliantly by Gilles Muller today because you know he is a limited tennis player in terms of what he can do from the back of the court I'm not trying to be unkind because he hit some great passing shots today he admits that himself but you know he he had a game plan he's working with what he's got he had a Wonderful game plan. I mean, Nadal fought tooth and nail out there tonight. It was a, it was just one of the great epic contests. We were lucky to to be in the the Five Live BBC Radio Five Live green room, listening to our colleague Ian Carter, former tennis correspondent, who just did the entire deciding set on his own with just one of the summarizer and we were jumping up and down, punching the edge, and not for either one of the players specifically, just it. As a, as a contest. I mean, it was, it was truly uplifting. It, it was as good as sport gets. Simple as that. As good as sport gets. Now, the match itself. I'm sorry for, for moving on. I feel like we should spend a whole show talking about Gilles Muller, but it's, it's Magic Monday and there's so much to cover and we do want to keep these daily podcasts punchy. You know, we know you don't have you know, two hours in your day every day to listen to us waffle on. So apologies for not giving everything the time it perhaps deserves. But... The whole length and drama of that match gave rise to an unusual situation with regard to scheduling in that Novak Djokovic and Adrian Manorino were supposed to play on court number one after that match. What ended up happening is their match was cancelled altogether. We had this sort of mystery situation where we had a a live feed of centre court after the Federer Dimitrov match wrapped up, which was about two hours before the the Nadal-Muller match ended up finishing and they didn't take the net stand did they the court looked ready for play the whole time and it could have been that they were keeping it ready just in case the Nadal Muller match needed to be moved there in the event that it went on for an hour longer than it than it in fact did or of course we were thinking they're readying it to move the Djokovic match there in the end they didn't seem to be readying it for anything and they didn't make any announcements about what they were thinking or what they were deciding or and we were all just left to speculate and Paul Vassos Alexander our five live colleague who's supposed to be commentating on the Djokovic match and who was working on the Chris Evans breakfast show on Radio 2 this morning he was just hanging around not yep. knowing what was going on and I, I went up to the player lawn where I found basically a deserted lawn except Novak Djokovic Mario Ancic and Andre Agassi just kicking their heels walking around still clearly even 10 minutes before the end of that Nadal match I don't think a firm decision had been made because I heard Novak Djokovic say or talk to the, the officials about 12 o'clock which is when the match will be rearranged for tomorrow and then I also heard him say but let's just leave it another 10 minutes or so so I don't know what that either or situation was but you know it still felt to me as though there was a possibility that Djokovic may get out there I then saw him doing some pretty vigorous warming up and stretching exercises um, and then the next thing you know match is over and Novak Djokovic shoots off down to the to the locker room I'm actually at that point thinking I think he's gone to go and get ready to play and then 20 seconds later, no more play this evening. Now, Wimbledon are going to announce or we put out a statement tonight. We are anticipating tonight. a statement. Simon Briggs, Simon Briggs has arrived. Has that statement arrived, Simon? No, I haven't seen it yet. Um, is, seen it, it. is it now irrelevant? You know, kind of the damage is done with regards to sort of the dithering and... and the, what was your take the, on it all, Simon? Yeah. The, the, the Djokovic situation of the match not ending up getting played at all. Did you have any sense in your mind as to what they were thinking or what they were maybe going to do or what they should have done in your view yeah i haven't looked at it closely i know that it, i've asked in previous years about moving matches from one court to another and there have been security and ticketing issues that have made it pretty much impossible to say 
according to the, to the Wimbledon press office, you can just switch over. If people have left already, you can't move a crowd across. They've done it, though. Gilles Simon, Guillermo Fils, two years ago, middle Saturday, mid-match, at 9.04 uh, after about an hour and a half of play. They moved it mid-match to Centre Court and completed it there, and all the crowd from Court No. 1 were invited to go over to Centre Court if they wanted to. It was by no means a full crowd, but it was one of the best tennis atmospheres I've ever experienced. OK, so that was a precedent. But obviously a, a slightly different one in that this match had not started yet. I mean... The, the statement will be interesting just to find out what they were, hopefully, what they mm. were thinking and why they didn't make the decision to play it. Hopefully we find out. I think that's we the say. issue, isn't it? Speculation filled the vacuum. Why was there no information? Well, also, though, I guess it's a, it's a reasonably fast-moving situation. I mean, one thing which uh, I think this year has been particularly difficult, partly because we've got such a late tournament in the calendar, so, so it's noticeable that we, we seem to be losing, like, the light about 45 minutes earlier that's interesting i'd not thought um, of that and there's the other i mean andy today on a totally different scheduling issue uh, about the, the women and the men was saying we should play two matches of each on the show courts but again look at the state of the grass you know i mean there are some constraints here that uh, if you start early you play an extra round sorry extra hour i mean um, every day on, on the grass. I mean, what's that, that, that going to be in? If warmer summers are going to become a, a regular feature, uh, they've either got to improve the um, technology that goes into uh, uh, sequencing the DNA of that grass, or, or, they've, or they've got to keep the, the matches to the time clock that, the we're, that we're working on. I don't, I don't see how they, how they can get any more play on the, on the, on the, sh- on the big two courts. So we've covered um, gender bias scheduling, DNA sequencing of grass, and climate change there. <laughs> All in one. <laughs> All the big topics here that's, on the Tennis Podcast. That's why we have Simon Briggs, isn't <laughs> That's it, why Catherine? we have Simon Briggs. There's no way I'd have got DNA sequencing anywhere. <laughs> in the next six years, I could have been talking and I wouldn't have come up with that. Um, to be fair, I was commentating the, uh, or reporting on the uh, Thomas Burdick Dominic team thriller out on court number three today, five-set match, and the court was in a terrible terrible state like like we were discussing it wasn't the wear of of the court though they were extremely worn it was the divots there were there were deep deep divots on those baselines and a lot of bad bounces so it, it, look i know that evidence is anecdotal people are trying to do sort of scientific analyses of state of grass but simon briggs is <laughs> <laughs> no honestly i think it's great simon uh, so yeah, I mean, there's no doubt they're in a bad state, and, that, yeah. and look, I, that's a valid point. I just think find a way. Yeah. <laughs> in the words of Greg, find a way. But I mean, yeah, it was it was interesting to hear Murray saying his, you know, he he backs fairness, equality of, of scheduling. Um, we also had Angelique, Angelique Kerber putting in a bit of a complaint and saying she may go and see the organisers uh, about that situation and uh, because she didn't particularly like being out on court too. And we should also just very quickly as a full stop to this, just play you what Chris Evert said to Catherine Whitaker. I think there needs to be a discussion on uh, the scheduling a little bit more clearly because it's equal prize money. So why not equal representation on center court and court number one? Um, there just needs to be a discussion and they should look at probably... Um, instead of four men's matches and two two women's, you know, I would like to see it three and three, and I think any woman would like to see it that way, only because just to go along with the equal prize money. 
In terms of the discussion that's been had so far, the defence that the club has used is about marquee players and the expectations of the TV public and the paying public here. They've said they expect to see marquee players. How do the likes of Yelena Ostapenko become a marquee player if they're out on court 12? Well, there have been years where women have been more marquee than the men players. And I think, um, fortunately for men's tennis, unfortunately for the women this year, the top four men are very high in the marquee value. And, you know, it's hard to dispute putting Djokovic on court number two, you know. But I just think, I I wonder about that argument because there have been years where the women have um, been more attractive and to watch and there have been bigger names and they've still gone with the four men, the two women. So I I think why not just make it equal and and simple for everyone? I mean, that's the way um, the prize money is now and why not, again, representation on on the show courts. So that's the view of uh, Chris Evert. She left it in no doubt as to how she feels, and she feels that uh, equality of, sh- of scheduling uh, needs to be thought about and, um, and, and can be achieved. We'll leave that there. What else, Catherine? Well, I think we should just talk about the matches, the women's matches. Angelique Kerber, Garbina Muguruza kicked off the day. It feels like about 100 years ago now, but at the time, it was the match of the tournament, briefly, wasn't it? It was extraordinary. It was. I should also say that Chris Everett was talking to, to Catherine on Five Live, but I got the chance to commentate for Five Live on that Kerber-Mugarutha match. I mean, all other elements aside, Simon, I don't know whether you were across that one at all or any of your team were. That was both women, I feel, feel returning to the form of last year. That was a really, really good match. Mugarutha winning it. It was great stuff. And returning to the hunger of last year as yeah. well. They both wanted that so much. They f- found some sort of fight in them I thought that, that I hadn't seen recently Yeah I mean I thought that the, all the women's matches today were, were fascinating um, the Ostapenko one was going on at the same time um, did she take eight match points to get the job done um, and, and against Svitolina so that was an uh, absolute cracker and, and uh, she just blows your mind doesn't she the way that she can be in that position so she's wasted seven match points and then she just goes for a winner on the third shot of the rally every time and and uh, makes them i mean her her brain seems to be made of different stuff i think she's had some dna sequencing too she's <laughs> maybe, got it in again maybe she's a blade runner or something she gonna, is gonna... unbelievable isn't she she is unbelievable i was actually quite heartened to see her squander those match points because it convinced me that she was human because i was starting to think that she's not She's not made of the same stuff I am as well. But then when I saw her squandering those match points, I did at least think, oh, you, you must be feeling something, even though <laughs> you don't look like you are, but you must be. You must be. But, yeah, she now plays Venus Williams. That match was going to be... F- Ostapenko Williams. Ostapenko Williams. Wow. That match was going to be first up on centre tomorrow. It's now going to be second after a midday start because we have the Djokovic-Manorino match to kick things off. Uh, Venus was very good today, wasn't she? Yeah, she looked efficient. I mean, it was never in doubt against Anna Konyu, was it, out there on uh, on centre court. And it's just interesting the way she's clicked into a, a gear of reliability out there now. I mean... I would make her favourite against Ostapenko. I don't know about you, Ostapenko's what do you think? Ostapenko's been second favourite. She's mm-hmm. always second favourite and she, she? always wins. Wow. She was second favourite for every match at the French Open. She was second favourite against Vitalina. She was definitely second favourite. Nobody's been talking about I her. I would have backed her in every match until this point, personally. Okay, okay. Maybe you would say you would say that, David Law, but actually that is, I no, think, no, I, true. I, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, she won't reach the final, though. Following that on centre court, Joe Conter. Joe Conter against Simona Halep. 
British writers must be getting excited about having a man and a what woman you into the quarterfinals here. I mean, there's, there's so much stuff to get in tomorrow, <laughs> Simon. Where do you go first? What's the lead? Well, it's, it's a quiet week for sport elsewhere. I mean, last week we were getting tennis in amidst, uh, the, uh, on the Telegraph in particular, the Lions mania, the Lord's Test match. Uh, it was still holding its own most days. Uh, but this week, fortunately, the, 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 the scene is opening up for us to fill pages and pages with uh, tennis comment, which is great. I mean, it, it is great. It's but been I'm, an amazing tournament and, and it continues to be, particularly the women's draw seems to be all more fascinating than the men's. It's, it is magnificent that the prospect that we have for the next few days. I'm just interested editorially when, I, when we think of Conta's big win today, Andy Murray got through, uh, Rafa Nadal is out, uh, the, the whole Djokovic thing not getting on the court. Mm. What, what, so we're leading with a split front, I think, with um, Murray and Conta as the first time that they've been two Brit. Sorry, no, um, a male and female British quarter finalists in '73, mm. uh, and Conta's got the lion's share of the coverage. We got two pieces on her match. I've just done one piece on um, Andy's win, and then there's a little comment about um, what does it say about British tennis as a whole. What are your two pieces then on Conta? How does that separate up? I didn't write them, so I, I can't say for sure. But I guess, I guess um, it's probably one of them is more about her as a as a person, and one of them is more about the match. I, mm. I think. But Interesting. That's slightly out of my hands. Well, we we'll look forward to reading them. First women since Joe Jury, I think, here in 1984. So first woman in my lifetime, first British woman in my lifetime to reach a quarterfinal here. Your lifetime hasn't been that long. <laughs> but I know what you mean. It's a, I mean. Look, it's a big deal, isn't it? And she's becoming more and more comfortable on the stage of centre court and court number one by the day. We were talking a little bit earlier. There's still, I feel, question marks in her head about what's required of her in the interview room. And, and I'm, I mean, look, that's... A, that's a very minor footnote in the grand scheme of things. We are not the most not important thing. But, you know, it's, it's not there yet, is it? She's not entirely comfortable in interview situations just yet with us lot. No, I mean, when you spend time on the tour, I think you know how not to ask too far forward-looking questions because they'll be diffused. You kind of have to get in under her defences and, and go for a slightly different style of question with her. But people who who only see her at Wimbledon that haven't quite worked her out. And, yeah, it's, it's a problem on both sides. She, she um, obviously does have a, a manner of, of kind of going safety first, which means not giving us an awful lot to go on. So baking really was the only theme that she expanded on today. And I think we've kind of, kind of done that a little bit. I think that the muffins have sort of been and gone, and we could have done with another tidbit from... Her sort of uh, whatever she's watching on telly or who she's been hanging out with in the park or, or, or whatever else she, we there could was have a, learned. I felt there was a good insight from Jonathan Overend actually on this subject. That he interviewed her over the weekend for the Sports Week show. And, I mean, look, you, you, he actually mentioned this. You got the sense that she was trying to think through everything she was saying in terms of how it could be interpreted and maybe as a headline. And she was just a bit scared of, of not saying the wrong thing in a way and yeah I mean I think that that hopefully from her perspective will become just a bit more comfortable as time goes on and it's still relatively new to her isn't it I mean Andy Murray went through a a, a period of being a bit scared of how everything can be interpreted and sort of went was on the defensive for a while there and has, has grown into being as comfortable as he is being himself in front of 
the world's media. So maybe it'll come. Maybe it'll come. Maybe she'll always have to wear that suit of armour. But if she's winning, then it's hard to argue with, isn't it? Well, it's working for her. Results are fantastic. Or maybe we can talk to Wim Fissette more because we spoke to him on Saturday and he's absolutely fantastic. He and, was, wasn't he? And, you know, talking about how he discussed, do you ever need to smash a racket? Do you need to keep your emotional sort of hygiene to that to that high level or can, or can you get a bit down and dirty every now and again and she said no it doesn't help me I've, I've discovered that it's uh, it's a negative thing and, and it's not like joe would ever discuss that herself so maybe we just need to see a bit more of whim <laughs> and of course he coached briefly for a period conta's quarterfinal opponent simona Halep. that's got to help help conta i mean <laughs> Yeah, I mean, actually, I first met him when he was working with Halep, and he he talked about her movement. I remember saying he said that uh, she had footballer's legs, like uh, her father was a footballer, and um, he compared her movement actually to Roger Federer's that kind of floating um, capacity that she has. She she will be presumably covering a lot of ground, and you'd expect that Conta will be the aggressor. And obviously, when they played on clay, that was one aspect of the game that was neutralised a bit by the surface and, and Conta really got nowhere near Halep in Constanza because Halep was just outstanding there but in um, Miami when they played that was a, a mental meltdown that, that Halep experienced I think that was a turning point for her mentally anyway because she then had a period away from her coach she, she decided that she needed to improve and probably won't do that again but I well, still Cahill think ditched her for, for, yeah. for about two weeks he said look if you don't sort yourself out I'm not having yeah. this was, and he walked away there was a very um, sort of telling coaching intervention wasn't there where he said that you, you just keep on doing this you, you can't keep on going to bits uh, these late moments in, in three set matches anyway I think she won't do that again but she will be under more pressure trying to get to Conta's heavy forehands than she was on the clay where her movement is so supreme Incidentally, she is an excellent footballer, actually. You mentioned uh, footballer's legs, and, and, and I've seen her do keepy up with, a, with just a, a tiny ball. I mean, she really can play, apparently. But I th- and I think she's the sort of athlete that would just excel pretty much at any sport. And uh, I... One of I'm, these annoying people know, that's so basically annoying. great at everything. Yeah, it's a bit like these people who know about DNA sequencing. <laughs> uh, tell me what that is afterwards. Anyway, um, I think she might win that. Halep. Mm. Anyway, we'll see, won't we? Uh, the other two uh, women's quarterfinals tomorrow, Gobini Mugarutha against Svetlana Kuznetsova, who beat Radvanska today, very good win, and uh, Magdalena Rabarakova, who ban- won the battle of the unseeded players against Petra Martic, taking on Coco Vandewey, who's yet to drop a set. Funny that, isn't it? Funny that, yeah. Uh, so we should, probably should just very quickly touch upon men's matches today that we haven't yet. Andy Murray. We haven't talked about Andy Murray Oh, yet. yeah. He beat Benoit Paire. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Yeah, again, I mean, he, he was very uh, tight on errors. I think there were un- eight unforced errors he was credited with, so that was uh, very low. Still limping and, and, and more painfully even than in any of his previous matches. Benoit Paire afterwards said, um, well, doesn't matter what you do between the points. When it came to the rallies, he ran like a rabbit and, uh, and backed him to win the title. Um, there was so one of those great moments where one of the journalists put to Andy Murray that Benoit Perrin said he ran like a rabbit and you kind of he, it was kind of put to him in that way that Andy was supposed to laugh and of course Andy just stared him face. out <laughs> it was very funny he never he doesn't like doing laughing when you, he's expected to do laughing no. does he I realised the other day why asking Andy Murray is such a uh, a nerve-wracking experience when you ask him a question in a press conference because he doesn't blink. I realise that's no. what it is. No, he's, tra- he's terrifying. He does give you the stone face, doesn't he? 
it's fantastic. It, 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 it is exactly like um, it must be when you're um, serving to him. When you're sending down a second serve and you just, you just know that it's going to be rammed back down your throat, that's kind of the experience. I was particularly you get. enjoying when, when at one stage he was doing the sarcastic thumbs up to his boxer a little bit today towards the end of the first set, and he actually at one point missed something and clearly was blaming Lendl's instructions or something like that, and he turned around and he just glared at the box, and Lendl just glared back. And I thought, I'm quite glad I'm not in the middle of that. It's a chill in the air. It's chill in the air. now, though, suddenly, you know, it was only 10 days ago that we were all being encouraged to mystically rub a picture of his hip. And now he's I'm the, fav- now he's the favourite to reach the final. It's ridiculous. But for a certain Mr. Marin Cilic, who was awesome today, 2-2-2 two, two and two against Roberto Bautista who, in the words of who was it that commentated that match and said this in... Was it Vassos Alexander who said he gives you absolutely nothing, Bautista Ragutin, to beat him 2-2-2? Two, two and two. Pretty impressive. But before that, he'll have to get through Sam Querrey, Andy Murray, who beat Kevin Anderson in five sets today. No offence to either of them. Lovely blokes. Very glad I wasn't assigned to that match. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine Whittaker there. No, I, Come on. No, I mean, if, if you were going to get any of the matches, <laughs> that felt a little bit like the short straw you need a contrast of styles is the recipe it was an epic is the, re- is the recipe for a great match and that is I mean look we didn't not, see it maybe it was great maybe it was, it was maybe really it was long. great Delith Lloyd looked like she'd been through it through, through the mill a bit when yeah. she came back from, uh, from court 18 but anyway chuffed chuffed for Sam Quarry bit gutted for Kevin Anson it's yeah. so hard to nice come back nice bloke what do you think Sam Quarry lovely bloke Andy Murray Simon well I mean it's the kind of opponent Andy would normally chew up the big server who doesn't like it when a lot of balls get put back in play. I think Andy will win, but I'm still concerned because he just... It's just so bizarre, isn't it, to have a guy who's, you know, a serious contender for a title, and yet you walk around behind him and he looks like he's not going to make it, you know, up the stairs. It's fine because Sam Curry is my sweepstake pick. That's it. So basically, so that's your... Your, you know, consolation if Andy Murray All loses. The stars are aligning, David. Just, <laughs> there's just a final result from today that I want to touch upon. Uh, Roger Federer uh, taking out Grigor Dimitrov in three straight sets. There was a tweet from Pseudofed, who's the comical um, fake Roger Federer account that nobody knows who runs it, but it must be an insider. Anyway, uh, who said, uh, so it's in the first person voice of fake Roger Federer saying it's really it was really nice today to to go to the part and have have a hit with my son or something to play with the kids to play with the kids yeah yeah which is which is harsh but kind of it, it was man and boy that was it, not it, a good experience it was, for Grigor it Dimitrov out there it? today was it yeah but surely you just get the impression that he, he immediately um, starts booking his flight as soon as he sees Federer on his draw sheet don't you think I mean that, that, that is that's the impression the, he gives me that's not good enough though is it it's not good enough he's too good a player to do that if I that mean, is the case if I think he Federer really was just, good today but still it was you great know. I was expecting him to win I was yeah. expecting him to be great and I was expecting him to win I just expected a, a bit more me from too. Dimitrov me too. Yeah, but, but, but the uh, memory I can't erase when back between those two is I think Australian Open 2016 they were about to go on and the, the cameras caught them playing football together in, in, the, in the media lounge yeah. not the, sorry, the player lounge sorry and um, you know you just thought that, that can't be the right way to uh, mentally approach your match against a bloke who not only that you compared to all the time, but who's 
um, talent agency represents you. That's probably the perfect thing for Federer to do and the worst possible thing for Dimitrov to do. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. There's one last thing we have to cover, and that is today's input from... Uh, this is my opportunity to say the words artificial intelligence platform, IBM Watson, which is something that the Telegraph are doing this year in association with IBM using all of their billions of data points. I don't think it's quite billions, but it's a lot. It's a lot of data points uh, to try and gain a deeper analysis into the various factors that influence a tennis match. Today's factor is stamina and who has the greatest stamina Can we just say Gilles Muller and leave it there? Why was he not featured in the article? I was saying there's a there's a maybe there's a hasty rewrite happening as we speak. Who would you guess, Simon? This is probably unfair to put you on the spot. Would come out as the player of greatest stamina. And John I Isner. Should, I should probably point out here that the the distinction is made between mental and physical stamina. I mm. don't quite understand how the data can distinguish between those things, but it's an important distinction. Well, I go Rafa, I guess. Yeah. He's in there, but apparently the data says Djokovic. Well, Mr. Resilience. We're talking a guy who played against Andy Murray over five hours at the Australian Open in the semi-finals, and then two days later played 
Rafael Nadal over six hours mm. and beat both of them. You know, it's an interesting one, though, isn't it? I, I, I would agree. He springs to mind for me. You know, that 2012 Australian Open final against Rafa, where I saw Rafa removing his blood-stained socks afterwards. That's what springs to my mind. But he used to be defined by his lack of stamina, by yeah, his flakiness in the long matches. True. It's, it's a ridiculous turnaround so yeah it, 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 it's an interesting talking about on the women's side Venus Williams comes out top above her Venus sister Williams. Serena yeah that's interesting yeah Venus Williams is the hardiest female player winning 79% of matches over 1 hour 45 minutes with sister Serena on 71% uh, Serena Bartoli Marion Bartoli and Petra Kvitova all come out pretty high which makes sense to me but I thought that um, maybe she's been excluded from the data I don't know maybe this is a, a dodgy thing to bring up but I thought Maria Sharapova had one of the best certainly she has one of the best I remember at the time of all of the hoo-ha mm. that we don't need to go into there was a definitely a stat bandied around about how strong her three set record was that it was the strongest in the she's game. exceptionally strong mentally I always think you know she's a pretty reliable character I would have also you know, even somebody like Petra Kvitova used to win so many three-set matches, you know, play so many three-set matches. I'm going to put Yelena Ostapenko in there. Hey, what about Svetlana There's probably in, she hasn't been around enough. She hasn't been around enough for there to be enough data points about her for it to feature in the uh, She only has three-set matches, that, three, <laughs> yeah, exactly. three, three shot rallies. I want to shove Yelena Ostapenko in there. If you want to have your say, it's hashtag what makes great. If you want to see... The data, then go to Wimbledon, uh, ibm.com forward slash Wimbledon. That's probably where my brother Nerdy Math is right now. And if you want to see what the uh, Telegraph have to say about the data, go to the Telegraph and read Simon's two articles about Joe Conter. Everyone else's various articles about various other things. Whoever's got the tough gig of writing up the Nadal piece right now, read it all. That's going to be a late one, isn't it? Whoever's written that one. Who's <laughs> on Nadal tonight? Uh, Jeremy Wilson, Ooh. who's um, better known for his coverage of Arsenal. But I know, he, yeah, he, I read he can, that. He can turn his hand pretty well to tennis too. Looking forward to it. I tell you, it's going to be great reading tonight, isn't it? It's going to be great reading. So make sure you check that out. Make sure you keep listening to our daily tennis podcast. How many are there to go? Six. I don't do maths. Character. Six of the things. We're over halfway. Are we? Amazing. Uh, thank you for listening. We've been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. We really hope you're enjoying these daily pods and we'll be back tomorrow. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.